Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. I'm Rick. I run a software-enabled services company called Leg Up Health. What's up this week, Rick? What's up, Tyler? How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. You? How's the house hunt or house move coming? Pretty good, actually. I assume it will... Like everyone I've ever talked to that's bought a house, something has been a huge headache about it. But so far, it's okay. I mean, lots of, you know, docu signs to scroll through and read and not really understand and then sign anyway, but um, mostly pretty good. Yep. Do you have a broker that's helping you with all that stuff? Yeah. So my, I, I'm very happy with our realtor and he kind of has a set of people he recommends. And so far, I've been pretty happy with them. So, the broker was really easy to deal with and they handle the appraisal and the inspector and like all this. We're just kind of like, yeah, whoever you recommend is fine. And it's been pretty smooth. Isn't it crazy how much, how much documentation people sign and have, they have no idea what it means. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know if you saw, I tweeted about this. I'm using DocuSign all the time now to sign all these documents and you like put your name on one page and then it scrolls down to the next one. And then you know, it passes like 20 pages. And so I have to scroll back up and figure out where was I at before so that I can read it. Like the the product's not even designed to let you read the agreements before you sign them. Most people don't want to. Yeah, I get that. I get why they do that. But I, I was looking everywhere because this was, I don't know, 80 pages or something. And it, this happened over and over. And I was like, there must be a way for me to uh, like set it to not auto scroll, but there's not. So I just, it wasted, I took maybe not twice as long, but it took 50% longer than it should have. Cause every time I signed something, I'd like find where I was and then recontextualize everything. I, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. I bought a house with my parents in Charlotte and it's actually a condo or townhome. And I just trusted that. I was like, just tell me where to sign. I don't want to think about this. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably like realistically, that's probably the right way to do it because sometimes you get screwed, but most of the time you don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I, but if I, if I didn't have them saying, don't worry about it, and they were, they're both lawyers. So I, you know. Oh, okay. Like, that makes it it's easy. like, I, I just uh, trust them. But if we were buying, if Sable and I bought a place, then we would, I would be definitely a lot more nervous about what the fine print said. Yeah. I'm on the other side of this where Shelly, Asked, like I read it and then Shelly was like, if you tell me it's okay, I'll sign it. So I'm acting as the legal authority here, which is not not as good as a real lawyer doing that, certainly. Well, I think you're pretty good at that stuff. I'm actually really bad at it. I, I appreciate you having confidence in me, but reading, like even in school, reading textbooks, reading anything and trying to comprehend um, anything that's shorter, that's longer than a blog post. I'm bad at it, to be honest. That's awesome, but, man. Uh, oh, well. <laughs> uh, well, you'll be fine. Yeah, I hope so. Anyway, what's up with you? I've rescheduled the photo shoot. With the interns. With the interns. So today, immediately following this po- this episode, we will get on a Zoom call and uh, print screens over and over again. Okay, cool. Does that mean you have a hard stop in uh, 48 minutes? No, it's four fifteen that or mountain time that we have, so we're good. I've got some buffer there, but uh, I'm I'm so glad that I got everyone to get on another Zoom call. 
uh, with their busy schedules in college. And I'm really appreciative for them to, for, for them indulging me. Um, and I'm, I'm going to uh, get a copy printed for everyone and just send it to them with a oh, thank you note uh, as a nice. follow up. Well, if they have busy schedules, you could could just wait a week and then school will be canceled by then and they'll they'll free up a little bit. <laughs> Did you see the stuff that happened at UNC? Yeah. I mean, national and, news. And they're, as a Duke person, they're kind of your rivals. Do you, do you take any, obviously you don't enjoy people getting sick, but like, is it fun that it happened to UNC? Well, what's funny, and you may not realize this, is I have two siblings who are currently students at UNC. So I have a, so- uh, a brother who's a sophomore and a sister who is a freshman. And so it's kind of painful to watch them go through all the change cycles, but I mean, they didn't take my advice. I was telling them both to take a gap year, but Rick doesn't know anything. He doesn't know anything. I can forgive the college students for not understanding what's going on. Like we had the same thing where we do the rose and thorn in our weekly meetings and all of the college students, like we have a number of WashU students. And when WashU announced in, I don't know, June or whatever, they were like, we are reopening campus and so they all listed as their rows for the week. I'm so excited that I now know I get to go back and be around my friends and stuff. And we were all, all the adults in the room were like, you absolutely do not get to go back and see them again. And now it, that ends up being right. There, there was a hilarious uh, thing in Politico, this Politico Health this morning uh, from like a Yale uh, university representative where they had to like, they, they, they wrote a letter to the student saying, just to, re- just to set expectations, this is not like coming back to dorm and you know campus life it's more like a hospital <laughs> but even that they're all going to get shut down again i <laughs> i think this is one of the greatest failures of leadership i've ever witnessed because it's every university it's every single one pretended until way too late that they were going to reopen there are a handful of top tier universities that maybe a few weeks ago finally came to terms with it but they wasted the whole summer. They could have been preparing for rethinking how do how do we make the finances work? How do we make online learning more palatable? And instead they because I'm friends with a number of college professors, all of them were told prepare for an in-person class. And now none of them get to do it. And so they they spent the whole summer just wasting their time. And I've heard some stories uh, about how the professors have not adjusted the curriculum or the syllabus or the uh, grading schedule to reflect remote learning. And they're trying mm-hmm. to have like classroom discussions with a ton of people on Zoom. That makes no sense. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it all does is stress the kids out. Uh, yeah, I, um, I, I get that it's a hard situation if you're like the dean or whatever of a school, but burying your head in the sand and just like hoping that you can reopen and things will go back to normal is not it's not the answer here, obviously. Yeah. And then you've got, I mean, you've got, it's a hard job. So many stakeholders, you've got students, you've got parents of students, you've got donors, you've got athletes, you've got fans. I mean, it's, it's a hard, hard job. It is. But when you, I mean, you talk particularly, Rick, you talk about leadership all the time and dealing with a hard job is, is what the job is. And this was the worst approach they could have taken, I think. Yeah, I'm, it was I'm, a total cop-out. I would love to know who is calling the shots because the deans aren't. Like, let's be honest. There's someone, they're, they're the trust, there's the trustees. I, I'm interested in who is like, 
really the the, mm. the primary stakeholder with all this that's that's calling the shots. I it's clearly not the professors because the professors I feel like if they had their way, most of them are pretty liberal and would not have classes. Yeah, I agree. I, certainly, I mean, professors become you know chairs of departments and deans, but the normal professors that aren't in administration, I agree, probably had very little influence over this. It's uh, the UNC <laughs> at a, at a, uh, the UNC uh, student paper had the front page with uh, clusterfuck. Yeah, <laughs> so funny. That's the only way to describe. I mean, yeah, I've been saying like two two of our interns this summer out of six college age interns got COVID. Like, that's working remotely. What's going to happen now? They're all going back on campus right now. It's going to be a disaster. Ugh. Okay. Anyway, enough of that, I guess. You know <laughs> that what? was my you know, rant for the day. Well, I'll just say that there are other organizations out there who are doing a terrific job leading through this. Can we just call out the NBA for a second? It's yeah. impressive what they've done. They've they've gotten players together. They gave players the ability to opt out. So they've got some players that didn't come to the bubble, but they've got a, you know, a COVID-free bubble. They're delivering a great product, possibly even even a better product uh, to fans virtually and Mm -hmm. you know it's it's they're killing it and so anyway i think you know they've done it the nba is a perfect example of where they got they figured it out yeah and and partially by getting creative like there's some simple stuff i think the idea of being in a bubble the nba is in a better position than say the nfl because basketball stadiums are a lot smaller and they're indoors and stuff so they have some advantages but they also got really creative with like how they're promoting it. And I think, is it you that were, uh, maybe you tweeted about or sent me on Slack, like this virtual trading card thing they're doing. They're figuring out ways to make the game entertaining online beyond just, we are going to play the game. Like you have to do more. And some sports leagues are not, they're just like, this is the old experience, except you're watching it from home. Yeah. That's not going to work. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And I'll, um, also, so I just, yeah, I guess there's proof out there that people can do it. That leadership can prevail. Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, well, that's, so I'm super excited about the interns. Um, I am happy to report also that I've completed the positioning exercise. I'm now on to building, mocking up the new website and uh, building out actual messaging. Mm-hmm. Um, what What's really interesting, you know, do you remember like several episodes ago when I was first talking about, I think it was several months ago when I was talking about how to explain like a pal. I was like, I need to write a manifesto. Yeah. Or should I write a manifesto? What should right. I do? What's really interesting is one of the outputs of the positioning exercise is what's called a sales narrative or solution narrative is what I call it. And uh, the, the, the framework uh, in the book that I used, obviously awesome, which we've mentioned in previous episodes, provides a PowerPoint deck framework for that. I converted it to sort of my own framework where I wrote a basically a five page white paper on the, you, you know, the points, you know, going through like, what's the problem today, how existing solutions fall short, you know, what our, you know, unique point of view is at leg up health, what leg up health is values, propositions, et cetera, customer examples. And it, it's a manifesto. Like it's mm-hmm. fi- a five page manifesto. So I now have something like it's going to go on the site. It's like, I don't know if I'll call it a manifesto or not, but I'm going to yeah. put this in its current form um, on the site somewhere in the next couple of weeks. And, you know, it is the core sort of like your handbook at Less Annoying CRM that's going to sort of feed all of the other 
website pages and um, that'll be more focused and and brief. That's interesting. And I bet it's better than in the podcast episode, you asked, should I write a manifesto? If you had just said, yes, I'm going to do it without the, the positioning framework and stuff, A, it would be a worse manifesto and B, it probably would be a lot harder to pull other things out from it. Whereas now it's not just a random, here are my thoughts. It's like, this is exactly what I need to know in order to make my homepage, in order to write my email copy and all that stuff. Yes. It's what anyone who works at Leg Up Health needs to know to kind of get it. It's what, uh, I mean, it really is the core of Leg Up Health and uh, it's very powerful. So I was having, it's funny, I've gone through another set of roller coaster rides this week where I was looking, I went for a walk with Sable on Monday. I was like, I feel like I'm just chasing my tail here. Mm-hmm. Like, and, uh, and then I broke through that, uh, went through some edits yesterday and Tuesday, last night I was up at like midnight putting like putting the final period on it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Nice. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad to hear you're finally starting on like all this brainstorming and positioning and stuff, I think will be useful, but it's not in and of itself like a deliverable. I'm glad that now you're getting onto the website because I, I feel like this stuff's getting real as soon as you make something a customer is actually going to see. Totally, totally. And, you know, just one more update. Uh, while I've been working on this, Lena, who came on as a who was an intern this summer, who came on as a our first team member, paid team member in August, has been working on our outreach plan. So we have a list of uh, fifteen thousand real estate, tw- no, sorry, twelve thousand real estate agents with email addresses in Utah, and we are. Um, she started uh, setting up uh, Copper CRM um, hmm. for our management. Have you seen, have you heard about Copper CRM? Yeah, they rebranded recently. Prosper Works used to be Prosper Works. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hear about them, but not as like a major player. But wh- why'd you pick them? They're the closest thing to Salesforce without being complicated that I've found. And they're heavily um, integrated with G Suite. So very, very turnkey. But also what one of the big features you know, that made a difference for me between them and PyDrive was the ability to customize the names of objects. So, for example, instead of ha- having opportunities, we can call them policies. Instead of having, you know, uh, companies, we could call them households. Anyway, I'm not I probably won't do that, but um, they're just having that flexibility to customize, getting getting rid of the sales lingo that was proliferating all over PipeDrive, which is very much a sales organization, yeah. um, was really bothering me. I when I looked at PipeDrive, I was like, oh, this this meets all our needs, but Man, like, I I don't like that they have a record type called deals. I don't like the yeah. idea that this is like to to close and pitch and and I didn't like it. I totally agree. Like, I'm surprised that PipeDrive is as uncustomizable as it is. Because even less knowing CRM, which I kind of think of one of our strengths as being that it's not customizable in the sense that to make something customizable means to make it generic. It's not specialized for a specific use case. So for example, we have a contact record and a company record and you can't change those, but you have to be able to change what you call an opportunity or whatever. Like, like we have, yeah, there's so many different use cases out there. Not everyone is tracking deals with their CRM. Totally. Hmm. Totally. Um, Have you gotten to a point where you feel like, you know, so it it sounds like you were making kind of a feature decision. Like copper has the features you want. Have you really gotten in and, used it to see, is it something you enjoy or are so, there rough edges? So, so Lena did most of the 
I narrowed it down to, to pipe drive and copper based on basic criteria. And then Lena ultimately made the decision that copper was better for us right now, primarily just because of ease of use and embedding into G Suite. Mm. Um, it does have a few less integrations. For example, it does not in- integrate with Help Scout, which is a problem. But I'm realizing that I'm not sure we need a shared inbox right now. Yeah. I was listening to our episode from last week and I actually, when I heard that, I was like, I should have pushed back on that because yeah, the reality is you'll, you'll figure it out. Like it'd be nice to have it, but is that really like a core requirement for you? I don't think so. So anyway, um, that's a win. So she's uh, over the next week while I'm working on the website, we're going to start moving all of our spreadsheets and leads into copper so that we're ready to start outreach nine one. And, and Linda's also putting together, she's been doing a lot of research on email marketing and some of the materials that uh, ConvertKit has put together and Nathan Berry, who's the founder has put together. So she's got, um, she's putting together some, some plans to start uh, cold outreach uh, to the real estate segment. Uh, Are you nine, using nine ConvertKit for that? No, we're going to use uh, copper and G suite. Okay. So co- copper can like automate sending out emails through G Suite. Like you make a template and say, send it to these 20 people. Yep. Cool. It's nice to have. I I know this is a feature that our customers would love. And I'm just like, people are going to spam. People are going to use this for spam, which is why we've never built that. But <laughs> it well, would be had, nice to have. We had to talk a lot about that today. It's like, listen, the goal of setting up copper is not to automate things right now. It's to have everything in one place and to be able to collaborate manual emails until we until we have a proven system Mm -hmm. yeah and i think probably i don't know if you'll go with this but my attitude is it's not spam if it's manual if if as soon as it becomes like bulk automation you need some level of opt-in like someone has to have downloaded a white paper something that gives you permission to email them not we just got this list from online or something Exactly. So no, in, in no way will we take a list of 25 people and send them the same message. We might, we, but we, we might have make it easy to customize the message and click send within copper. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Oh. Nice. So, You've come yeah. a long way since we, uh, we were working at Zane Benefits, Rick. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I've come a long we, way. We used to fight over this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't understand. How, I was, well, anyway. Yes. I, we spammed a lot of people at Zane Benefits. Yes. Uh, I think we used Mailgun and Mailgun flagged our account one day and you were like, GD Rick. You're like, come on. I think you're pretty pissed about that because it, requ- it created some work for you, didn't it? Um, I I don't remember specifically, but uh, it it's unfortunate that there are as many spammers in the world as there are. The reality is probably you, it does work, I think, which is unfortunate, but I'd rather not be a part of it. Well, that's, I mean, that's one of the points that the ConvertKit founder makes is, yeah, like people send shitty emails because they work. That doesn't mean that you should send shitty emails. There's a better way. Yeah. Like cool. the, the shitty emails don't lead to word of mouth. The shitty emails lead to some sales, transactional sales every now and again. Mm-hmm. What you want with your outreach is... The, the the you know it to lead to a, a, a the beginning of a growth of word of mouth and a brand people want to talk about yeah when the time comes that you actually start sending these emails i'd love to hear about specifically how you're doing your cold outreach what level of research are you doing like what what kind of email copy you're using what works what doesn't happy to share it all so yeah i'll keep that in mind uh, what about uh what about you those are all my updates for the week 
yeah, I don't have a ton to report on. Um, one thing is, you know, my regular pricing update a while back, we went from 10 to $15. Big milestone. Our average revenue per user per month is now $10.01. You made so the penny increase. We've made the penny increase now, <laughs> which is obviously not a huge deal, but um, a penny spread out across 20,000 users is like $230 a month or whatever it comes out to. Um, so yeah, every penny it goes up, we're making... It's like 2000 bucks, isn't it? Over 20000 uh, 200 yeah, two hundred. Yeah, it's in the two hundred, and we we have like twenty three thousand something. So I think I did the math, and it was like two hundred and thirty five dollars a month more than if if all these people were paying ten dollars, which that's not nothing. I mean, you know, it's very small. We need to we need to grow that number still, but it's cool already seeing some results from that. Gosh, it's so hard to just think about all those twenty thousand customers not paying the new pricing, but that's your <laughs> brand, man. Yeah, no, we could have we could have very quickly increased revenue in a big way if we. Had but that's it a good. Everyone. That's just like the cold emails. I mean, it's it's short sighted. Mm-hmm. It it yeah, you have a quick win, but the distaste that it leaves in people's mouth when you when you do that to them is you know, and the and then the 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 cost on word of a positive word of mouth is just too high. Absolutely, especially. There's a whole literature out there about how to raise prices as a SaaS company. One thing that I don't see mentioned enough is how important churn is here. Mm. We have pretty good, pretty low churn. It's 2% per month, which for who we're selling to is pretty low. That still means we're churning through about 25% of our customers and replacing them with new ones every year. Like, it's just not worth pissing off all your customers when even if you don't grow much, just normal churn and replacement, we're going to have flipped most of our users to $15 in a few years anyway. Yep. Um, the somewhat bad news that probably isn't related to pricing, but it's hard to know for sure. Our free trial signups have really dropped off over uh, really the month of August Hmm. it's normal for August to be a bad month. This is the main month in the summer that people go on vacation. But May, June, July were really, really good for us. We had our best July ever last month. Uh, The free trial signups have really plummeted in August. I've talked to a few other people who have kind of said other businesses are seeing this too. So I think there's kind of a macro trend. Does that mean maybe it's just normal summer slump that didn't happen last month? Maybe it's the recession is finally starting to kick in and stimulus checks are running out. I don't know. I think I think it's the last thing you said. I think uh, this is the first month that stimulus checks have stopped. Um, comp- like there's nothing and people are waiting and seeing. I think there's a lot of people waiting and seeing what Congress will do. I don't think anyone's talking about it, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think people are keeping it pretty private still. But I think that there's if, if, if Congress doesn't do something, there's going to be some some pretty big repercussions. So yeah, I'm not surprised you're seeing that. And I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, people start talking about it more over the next uh, few weeks. It's going to be very interesting. If let's say a few months from now, things are really bad, like things actually reflect how bad the economy is. The economy is terrible, but you know, the stock market's fine. My sales have been fine up until this point. It'll be really interesting looking back at this May through July period and just saying, 
the the world was on fire or the economy was on fire and everyone was acting like it was normal myself included because when sales are going strong and stuff what are you going to do you're just gonna be like i guess it's business as usual let's buy a house yeah let's buy a house exactly (laughs) um because that didn't happen in 2008 right like during the great recession obviously there was a lot of lead up before it but as soon as the stock market crashed the first time everyone was like this is a disaster and it stayed a disaster until the recovery. There wasn't this weird lull that we may be seeing right now. I don't know. I can't argue with you, man. I, I, it's going to be... I'm surprised it's lasted this long, but uh, I'm not surprised to hear what you're saying about the free trial sign strapping. I hope that it turns around just because, honestly, I'm tired of... Like I feel like this is a, the slow strangling of, of the economy. I'd rather it just yeah. happen or not. And... Anyway, well, that sucks. Yeah, it's it's a weird place to be where it's like I I kind of hope it's the whole economy because that means my business specifically doesn't have a problem. But obviously, I don't actually want the whole economy to get destroyed. But like the other side of me is looking at this like, is something wrong? Did the price increase cause this or are our marketing channels drying up? You, You never really know until later on. Nope. Yeah. So no, anyway, I've been thinking a lot about what would the like. I think it's always a good idea to think about how your business would respond to certain macro trends. Like, is it sensitive to certain things, um, or is it sort of unaffected? Um, so, for example, I what's interesting about Leg Up Health is people's subsidies increase as income decreases. So, the cost of health insurance because of premium tax credits on the individual market actually go down and you know in a down economy also companies drop coverage employees lose access you know to work and employer provided health insurance so the market for individual health insurance increases so it's kind of an interesting anti-recession business where because of the new dynamics in the individual market and sort of the macro shift that's already happening sort of independent of the economy from group to individual, it's kind of like anti, but we're, we're kind of not sensitive. I, I hypothesize that we're not too sensitive to, um, to, to economic downturns. Yeah, I could buy that. I always kind of told myself that about less annoying CRM and now I realize I was wrong, but I don't think I had as compelling of an argument as you. We were just saying, our price is really low and you know if maybe yeah some of our customers will cancel but people using bigger crms will downgrade to us and you're um, diversified across thousands like tons of different industries, industries and geographies yeah. but you've got a much more comp- like i couldn't really argue things would get better for us whereas for you it's like oh yeah there's this huge new stream of leads coming in if yeah if everybody's out of work that's interesting I hate how many times in this podcast something bad happens in the world and it's like, oh, that's an interesting opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's that's the essence, right? Like if if there weren't like problems in the world, there wouldn't be the need for entrepreneurship. Yeah. I hadn't thought of it that way. That's true. Hmm. Um, cool. Any other uh updates or anything? You wanna move on to some some new topics? So are you going to rant further about reopening colleges or do you feel like you've gotten your... I think your, I got it out of my system. You, you yeah. sure? 
Yeah, if it hadn't come up organically, I was going to bring it up, but uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> cool. I'm actually, Duke's handling it really well. They've actually limited people coming back. Um, they've got a pretty solid, I wouldn't call it a bubble, but like close to a bubble happening, but it's, it's going to shut down too. They're, yeah, but at least they're, they're all like, going to shut down. Yeah, at least they're like trying to do it differently versus UNC is like, yeah, we're just going to do it like we normally do it. <laughs> tell Tell the students not to be irresponsible. Good luck with that. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention uh, a couple of weeks ago, I attended a webinar. Are you familiar with zebras unite? It's like a online community of, uh, I'd heard about them for a while, but I just it, kind of signed up. Is it a community for sport referees? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. Um, the zebra is a reference to basically an alternative to a unicorn. So unicorns being these like venture backed billion dollar businesses, and they're saying like zebras are real. First of all, that's like the most important thing. Oh, that's these funny. Are- <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, but I, I, I'd have to read. I think there's also like a. It's kind of a weird mix of not raising venture capital. It's like an anti greed thing, but then it's also like diversity and getting more stakeholders involved. It's like a mixture of all of these things, and it's kind of a community of businesses uh, interested in that. So I signed up um, to kind of join. They have like a little social network thing you can join. And then they were hosting a webinar about co-ops, like turning a business into, I think an employee co-op is the most common form of this. But I guess they're what they're saying is there's this new thing, or I think it's new, called like a stakeholder co-op, where basically there's lots of different stakeholders in a business. There's the shareholders, there's the founders, there's the employees, there's the customers, and may- maybe the community. Um, and a co-op gives all of those people a vote into how the business should be run rather than just the shareholders, which is traditional. So anyway, I attended a webinar on it and found it kind of interesting because Bracken and I with Less Knowing CRM, I, I don't know what we're going to do, but we're both kind of of the opinion that we want the business to be around longer than we are around hopefully. I mean, I know that it's optimistic. I'm 35 years old, so we've got a ways to go before I die. But <laughs> and, and with transhumanism theory, mm-hmm. like we, your life should double before you die, and then you're, yeah. you're, you're here forever. All, all those uh, Silicon Valley people are going to extend extend the lives. We'll, we'll see about that. <laughs> but we are kind of thinking like, neither of us like the idea of passing a business down to children, to like the kids of the founders. I don't like that kind of legacy. So what do you do with a business that's not publicly traded? It's private. You're not keeping it in the family. And so one possibility is a co-op. So I kind of attended this and tried to learn a little bit more about it. I mean, is there any major takeaways that you would share or is it something you're still early on in evaluating? Um, I took some notes on it that I can run through here. Uh, so one thing that I actually asked a question in it one of their points was the the idea of a co-op is give every give your employees real ownership and i asked the question how is this different from a startup giving equity one thing they said is traditionally in a co-op regardless of how someone's compensated everyone gets one vote so every employee has the same vote sort of like democracy which is interesting i think um i didn't realize that that was a distinction what are your thoughts on that hmm I don't want to go here, man. This makes me tired. It makes it, this is just another version of talking about the problems with Trump and Biden and, uh, you know, you know, Russia. So I, so you're saying that a, 
an, a company would not be run as efficiently as a democracy, basically. Uh, I would suggest that the like the, you're you're not going to be able to run. I doubt that there's anyone who can run less annoying CRM. Well, I don't think that there's a group, a co-op of people who can run less annoying CRM the way you and Bracken run less annoying CRM. What about after we retire? Oh man, I just this is like the great leader who led the establishment of democracy dies and leaves democracy to you know to 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 you know to its devices and then you end up with something that's functional but it's not what it was. Yeah, it's not, but the on the flip side is monarchies have even worse results where it's like the king is good and then the king's son is okay. And then that king's son is like an inbred, you know, idiot that <laughs> it doesn't last multiple generations that way normally. What what if um what if maybe the co-op so I'd like to stay high level on this. I don't think I'm not interested in maybe going into the details of what a co-op is. I think an analogy to a a democracy is probably good enough for purposes mm-hmm. of this conversation. Have you, I mean, if, if we're looking at co-op versus, you know, finding an heir um, that you trust and, you know, can pass this, you know, pass the crown to that isn't restricted to any sort of um, bias uh, or, f- f- you know, gene, then I think that's more interesting to me than this, uh, because I think what makes less annoying CRM and your particular case and probably a startup to last company, a startup to last company are, you know, founder owned, mm-hmm. uh, you know, value driven organizations. And I think one thing that's true about putting more people in the room is that you have conflicts that are oftentimes impossible to mediate. Yeah. Uh, Brack and I talked about it and more or less settled on the same thing. And I think w- one thing we talked about, there's a big difference between a country and a business. And that is that it's okay if the business goes away. Um, the country can't totally fail, but it's okay if the business uh, one or two generations from now is gone and replaced by something better. Uh, and so it seems pretty clear that an organization with a dictator can operate more efficiently. Um, now that might th- that efficiency can be good or bad, right? It can be used for greed and unethical stuff or good stuff, but probably businesses shouldn't be so conservative as to say we we want to be a democracy. That's, anyway, I, I don't have this isn't fully fleshed out, but after li- I, I was very interested to learn about co-ops afterwards. Brack and I were kind of like, maybe it'll make sense as a succession plan. Maybe it does not make sense right now. Is where we landed. That's my feeling too, but that's just, I think that's just me not having faith in people. I mean, that's, Honestly, what, I, that's what we're really saying is like, we don't trust people to come together and do the right thing. I don't even think a lot of people want this type of responsibility though. This is that's another the thing. Problem. Is, that's the problem. Yeah. A, a people don't want the, the responsibility of a vote. In this, in this uh, webinar I attended, a lot of they gave a lot of examples of businesses doing this, but they're all like artist communes and stuff like that. Like there, there aren't really examples. I think REI is the only example of a real business, and they even listed REI as a joke because it's not a co- like they're a co-op for marketing purposes. In no way are the the co-op members controlling what the company does. Um, so yeah, I think maybe like 
running a business like this is it, it involves risks, it involves having a vision, and it's hard to build con- enough consensus with enough people. One other interesting point I want to make that that they made in it, because um, I did learn a lot, even if we walked away not not thinking it's a good fit for us. Um, they said not all co ops are good, and the example they gave is a country club. That's I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like. <laughs> The, the, I was thinking of like, what co-ops do I know? I can think of the Green Bay Packers, but I don't, I'm not fully sure how that works. And I'm questioned whether or not they're actually I think that's marketing too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's marketing. <laughs> and then I, th- I think of, you know, country clubs and man, that's some nasty stuff that there that that's like, if, if, if Trump were a, a monarch, it's how the United States would be. That's what a country club is. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, I've run into this so many times already where, for example, the recession hit in March or April or whatever, and you have to start saying, well, we need to take care of our people. But that kind of means not taking care of other people, right? It's like none of the interns are getting job offers and stuff so that we can give raises to our current employees. It's hard to like, it's, it's weird tribalism where if everybody has a vote, you do end up risking this world where nobody is is putting their neck out for the people who aren't already on the inside. What is the number? Okay, I want to... Okay, so there, on one end, you've got you and Bracken, like figuring out how to extend your lives and never dying, <laughs> or finding clones to heirs. And, and, and then you've got, you know, co-op. There's, mm-hmm. What is the number of people who, who could work together and not have this sort of... stakeholder fight that Hmm. happens when you put too many people in the room, like you and Bracken and maybe this ultimately fall apart are able to prioritize your relationship um, over and the bit, like what you want for the business jointly over self-interest, short term self-interest. But every every person, large groups of people don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I've been thinking about this is a very raw thought, so I have no idea if this is practical, is maybe a way to do that is to have bylaws that to still have like more of a dictator model, but to impose rules on that person that limit their ability to be greedy. So just say like, you're not allowed to make more than, uh, if, if you're in charge of the business, you're not allowed to make more than five times the lowest paid employee or something like that. Um, I'm not sure if that's the right law, but- Sounds like health insurance premiums. Old people aren't allowed to be you know, be uh, allowed to be charged, you know, more than four mm-hmm. times what a sick, per- uh, a young person is. And I think there's something good about like, sorry, this may sound like not an answer to your question, but I think it's not that Bracken and I have anything special. It's that we're not, neither of us are greedy enough to want more than what we have. Um, That's the whole key. If, if you can find a successor, even if they're not super competent or whatever, as long as they just want what's good and are humble and not greedy, I think it would work. Why is it important for you, kind of coming back to the beginning of this, why why is it important for you and Bracken to have Less Knowing CRM live on post-mortem of YouTube? That's a fair question. I've actually thought about that too. I think it's just that, I mean, maybe it'll fail on its own. And then this problem solved. If it's assume, just gone, assume, assume it doesn't. Assume it doesn't. So it's that people will depend on it. Customers will depend on it. Employees will depend on it. And you know, when we were five employees, I didn't really feel much commitment to it. Not, I mean, I wanted it to work, but I was like, 
oh, if, if we go out of business or whatever, whatever, the five of us will find new jobs. It'll be fine. And the five people who worked there at the time were all people who could find new jobs easily. Now we're 19 people, still not huge, but I'm like, I would hate if even one of those people, like, like I'm asking them to be loyal and to commit to this and to build a life and a career around this. I owe them that loyalty back. And there's not going to be a point where, okay, I'm entering retirement age, but probably we just hired some 25-year-old who's trying to build a career on this. There's no single point where it's like, we can shut this down without destroying some people's lives. So why don't you sell the business when you're, and, and have everyone share in that? I think anyone who could acquire this business or almost anyone is probably running it in a way that I would not agree with ethically. I wish the world had more privately owned, non-greedy business businesses, um, base camp, you know, companies like that. Um, yeah. I hear what you're saying, though. I don't think we could get an amount for the business that would make it work for people. Like if we sold the business right now, it'd probably be $10 million or something like that. That's not enough. Because what is that? 500000 a person if we split it up totally evenly. Um, I think most people would rather have a good job for the rest of their life than $500,000. I, anyway. I guess what, I, I, the, the, what I'm coming to the conclusion of is that sans, uh, you know, a clone or mm -hmm. sans, you know, transhumanism, to, you know, extending your life, like less annoying CRM won't be the same after you're gone. Absolutely. It won't be the same when I'm 60 either. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, uh, you know, these things are constantly It won't changing. be what, what you want it to be. That's what I yeah. guess I'm trying to say. It, yeah. It, it, you will, it will be something other than what it would be if you were still around. I think these are really, really interesting questions and everything you're bringing up is valid. I also think I have an obligation to do my best, you know? Um, so anyway, obviously this is 30 years from now. So I'm like put, putting the cart before the horse is an understatement here, but I just figured I'd mention it. I appreciate all your thoughts on it. What Brack and I kind of decided is, okay, interesting. We know a little bit we didn't know before about how co-ops work. Moving but, on. I, but wasn't this driven by a question most likely that you got recently, which was Tyler. What happens if you get hit by a bus? Um, no, no. Okay. I in the short term, actually, everything's fine. I think everyone at the company knows Robert takes over. <laughs> um, we we've got a we've got good leadership in place. The the partners, different people, at the company that could step up, but Robert specifically is the person who. He's he's our lead developer. He's got the technical chops. He does all our HR paperwork, legal stuff. He's just got the right set of skills. The problem is when I'm 65, he'll be 60. <laughs> he's not the he's not the successor at that point, you know. <laughs> you know, if anyone's following this conversation, I, I think one one thing you might be wondering is when should you start thinking about what happens if I get hit by a bus? Like for example, at Leg Up Health, like it's like at the end of the day, Leg Up Health will end if I get hit by a yeah. bus right now. Like. <laughs> I'm at the, you know, I'm at that stage, but when do you think, at what point do you start thinking about what happens when I'm gone? Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a fascinating question. I think it's once people start relying on you. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. And it makes me think about my obligation to Lena, uh, for example, 
and our our clients. And I guess I'm already at that point if you think about it that way. I think got, ish. I've, like like let's think about if you got hit by a bus and the company disappeared, they'll still have their insurance. Your your clients will need a new broker or something, but they don't lose their insurance. But I don't have uh, I don't have something that I don't have a plan that will happen for Leg Up Health if I die, which is an easy thing to put together. It's a one pager. Yeah. I do think it's, I would argue for you, it's premature. Why? Lena's a temporary worker anyway. When does right? it, be, like, I have people relying on me now, I guess, to your point. What, I guess what, at what point does it become enough to, work, to, to, to think through this? I don't think they rely on you in the way I'm, I mean the word rely. They, what do you mean? They get benefit from you. They get value from you. If you disappeared, it would be an inconvenience, but it would not be a disaster. Um, for our customers, they are storing really crit like dozens of small businesses would go under if less annoying CRM disappeared. Uh, not not all of our customers. A lot of them would be fine, but out of ten thousand businesses, dozens of them would fail outright if they lost this data. I bet, and you know, nineteen employees who have made major life decisions to be in St. Louis, left other jobs. You're right. There's not a hard point where, okay, now it has happened, but I think we're clearly past that point. And I would argue you're not. Cool. This is a completely random question. Um, Coming back to what we were talking about, how you wish there were more companies like Less Annoying CRM. One thing that I think about often about Zane Benefits and then also I think about with less annoying CRM is if less annoying CRM went away, it would be very difficult. I expect for your team members to get a similarly paying job for the work that they're doing. Yeah. Um, And I think that that hit a lot of Zane benefits people at some point uh, because it was a unique situation where we paid more than market and all that kind of stuff. Do you, do you, do they, are they aware of that? Some of them are. I've had this conversation with some people. I think the developers on the team would be fine. We pay about market for developers. Um, the people it's who would really service. be customer service people, where if you're here for seven years, you're making 120000 a year working a customer service job. And they're very, very good at it, but no one else is. No one's like, well, I guess that's what they were paying you. We'll, we'll match that here. Um, that's relying on you. Yes, yes. I think yeah. you're right. That's a good point. If If our whole team were engineers... Maybe I would feel less of a sense of obligation, hmm. which is interesting. You can work walk backwards from that and say, maybe don't put yourself in that position if you don't want to. I kind of like that. Like, I like the constraints that it imposes of, I don't get to quit now. I have to do this forever, which simplifies life. But if if you don't want that, you can avoid it by not. And, and like your product, um, I don't know if you listen to the Art of Product podcast, but um, Derek Reimer in there, he, he's, he was one of the co-founders of Drip which is a pretty successful SaaS company. But Drip is a pretty mission-critical product for people who rely on it. He's now starting his own solo thing, and one of his constraints is he's like, I don't want any... I want it to be valuable, but if it goes down for a weekend and I'm gone and I don't get back till Monday, people can be mad at me, but I don't want it to like destroy anyone's life the way Drip would have destroyed someone's life. That's interesting. Yeah. Speaking of Drip, I total mind warp here. To another subject, but you know how you talked about putting together um, a appointment scheduler within Less Annoying CRM. Mm-hmm. Copper has that, and it's going to replace Calendly for me. Really? I yes. didn't realize they had that. And I just realized it today while I was playing around with it. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Hmm. 
you should check out Copper. I think that they do some things that are is similar to you and but a, probably a different target customer, but yeah. very um, more techie customer for sure. But uh, they have some really interesting features and could give you some ideas on on some of the expansion things. I, I really like I really like their product. Um, I just, uh, but Derek Reimer is I, the right reason I think I know him is he's working on a yeah, scheduling Mighty Cal. app. Mighty yeah. Cal. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I'll check Copper out. Neat. Um, do you have any other topics today? Uh, yeah. I mean, do you want to, it looks like you have one. We've got about 10 minutes here. Do you, uh, mine can fit into 10 minutes for sure. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead for okay. yours. Cool. Um, I'm interested in, do you think in terms of ARR or MRR? And by this, I mean, annual recurring revenue or monthly recurring revenue. Totally depends on the context. Can think you walk what, through? Yeah. Like, what can you, what, what do you mean? Like, what do I think of it in terms of like, in what way? Like, so yeah, they, they ultimately mean the same thing, right? ARR yeah. is 12 times MRR. So mm-hmm. there's no real difference between them, but like if I get a $10 customer, $10 per month customer in your mind, would you be thinking of that as that's 10 more MRR or 120 more ARR? And I, if you asked me this two months ago, I would have said, who fucking cares? But now that we raised our prices and I'm starting to think about things differently, I'm, I'm realizing maybe it matters. Yeah. So, I mean, from from a expense standpoint in my head, I typically uh, will look at that very quickly from an annual standpoint because people's salaries are much easier to remember on an annual basis. So mm-hmm. I usually convert, you know, multiply, but I start with MRR. I'll, I'll do MRR because I can always do MRR times 12 really quickly. For some reason, dividing by 12 is harder for me. I don't know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I usually start with MRR, but I can, like, when I'm thinking about, uh, like expenses or budgeting or sort of growth rates, like high level, like what does this mean for me? Um, I will convert it to annual because that's how I think about life. I think about life in terms of an annual budget. Um, I think about life in terms of like annual income. Um, and I want to see that growing over time. I also think about people's salaries in terms of annual stuff. I also, you know, Generally, I don't pay anything for more than a year, so a year works pretty well. But on a day-to-day basis, the metrics MRR. Yeah. Okay, I think I agree with all of that. I'm just I'm kind of coming to terms with this because I never looked at ARR before. But since I started doing it, so for example, before I might have said we added 250 users this month. Now I might say we added thirty thousand dollars in ARR. There's an intermediate between them. 250 users is. $2,500 a month because like, we were charging $10 a month. Um, yeah, I would yeah. say the for me, like I would be more interested in the monthly. What do you, what do you guys talk about? What do you, how do you think about it historically? Well, historically, we just looked at users. But the, the problem is it, a user was $10. So it was super easy to translate back and forth. Now a user's $15. i am bad at mental math. No, it's a, a user's $10 and one cents. Well, yeah, on average. Yeah, yeah. But a, a new, if we add 250 users, that's 250 times 15. It's actually more complicated than that because we also churned users and replaced them with $15 users. Mm-hmm. But that's another reason why before you lose a user, you gain a user, that's net even. Now it's not necessarily. So we have to start thinking in terms of revenue, not users. Mm-hmm. But I was faced with this decision. Do I, what, what I'm communicating to the team, do I say MRR, MRR or ARR? MRR. See, I went with ARR. Yeah, so I think it's MRR and I think... Yeah, MRR. Why? Because it's more, I don't know, it's more now. 
It's more in the moment. I agree with that. But the reason I went with ARR is exactly what you said, which is I want people to be able to contextualize this. Okay. Say, so you, oh, if you we... want them to be able to do that, that makes sense. I definitely, when I, I would convert it to ARR for myself, but man, can't they just do multiple times 12 as well? But they're not thinking about it. I, what I want is, I mean, I think this is kind of the job of a founder is to say, how can I, how can I, you know, people are only spending a few cycle brain cycles on this, but I want them to get the message. And so one of the things, for example, is everybody at the company gets a $10,000 raise every year. We have uh, 15 non-partner employees. So that's $150,000. I like the fact that I can now say we added 30,000 ARR this month. So that means we are, you know, one fifth of the way towards giving everyone their raises. It takes five months to do that. Did, did you know that? I can kind of say to mm-hmm. employees. Um, and I think what you said is exactly right. The main expense for a business is people. And you think of people's salaries annually. All other expenses you think of monthly or almost all. Like I think of my rent monthly. I think of uh, how much I pay GitHub and how much I pay Slack. Those are monthly costs. But the main expense is annual. And so as a result, I think thinking of revenue annually makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, I, I wouldn't lose sleep over it. I think what matters is that people, whatever you do, you do it consistently. Yeah. Like it's, you pick one and stick to it. Final thought here. This came up on Indie Hackers and someone else, uh, John Youngfook, I think is his name, um, said he thinks of it an MRR. And we talked about it a bit. And he pointed out the difference is he's still one person. And so he's thinking about his expenses. What am I paying in rent? What is my monthly food budget and stuff like that? Once you start thinking of employees as the expense, that becomes annual. So I, I, that's, I was kind of leading to this, you know, the whole topic was leading to that because I found it really interesting to think MRR feels a lot more mat- natural as an individual. And I think ARR is more applicable when you're thinking of a whole team. I buy it. Cool. And again, Two months ago, I would have said this is stupid and doesn't matter. So if anybody, including you, says that, I can't really disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, do you do you want to cover? I'm interested in this one card you have on here, which is, is it healthy to work more than 40 hours per week? Yeah. Um, Tell me about that. Well, there was a uh, Indie Hackers podcast, which mostly they just interview founders. But recently, they've done a couple of these things where they bring two two pretty well-respected founders on opposite ends of an issue, and they basically have them debate. And so there was one that was uh, DHH from Basecamp, and Natalie, I think Nagel is her name, from uh, Wildbit, and they were debating about, is it, you know, is it okay to work more than 40 hours a week as a startup founder? Well, um, I'd DHH, love to have this debate with you. I'm not sure we disagree, but what's your take on it? It's neither healthy or unhealthy. It's irrelevant. Well, it's not irrelevant. Yet it is. Like you either live a healthy lifestyle or you don't. How many hours you work does not like 40 hours is so arbitrary. Okay, but you can't work a healthy lifestyle if you're working 120 hours a week. It depends on what your work is. I don't off the top of my head know how many hours are in a week, but like if you don't sleep, you're not living a healthy lifestyle. Okay, yeah, sure. But 100 So like, it, can... it matters. The the amount that you work certainly affects your the like 
the quality of sleep you get, your personal relationships. Like you don't have time for that stuff if you're working too much. You shouldn't work more than than you know eating that that than you should. Where you start not eating well, not sleeping well, not taking care of your mind, and not not meeting your other obligations in life. Like that. So for indeed, some people that's twenty hours. For some people that's a hundred. For for others it's somewhere in between. The difficulty here is for many people, I think they think they need to make that sacrifice because nobody wants to work. Or I shouldn't say nobody. A lot of people don't want to work that much. But work if you want much. to start a business. More, I want to work more than 40 hours a week. Gosh, it would be, so it'd be so I boring to work 40 hours a week. Oh, my God. A lot of people don't want to. And But they feel like – so what, one of the questions was like, do you have to work more than 40 hours a week? for your business to work? That's a different question, okay? Is it healthy to work more than 40 hours per week? I don't like that question. Is it, um, is it, do you have to? Should you? That's a whole other question. Okay, well, they're they're all fair game here. Okay, well, tell me and, what and you what think DHH about that. what DHH would say, by the way, is if it's not healthy, you shouldn't. Yeah, I mean. I agree with uh, that. I totally agree with that. Well, then for a lot of people, they shouldn't start a business, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Because- the the DHH's point was Basecamp was built a as a side project and b only forty hours a week between the main project and the side project. This was not an addition to the forty on the main project. And Natalie's point was, well, y'all started in the the golden era of SaaS, and they're one of the the true rarities in the bootstrapped world. And like most people can't do that nowadays. I work forty hours a week, or I, I do work more, but it's it's for the reason you said. It's like it's a hobby. I want to. It's not because I need to. I don't think I could have gotten away in the early days with 40 hours a week. I don't think Less Annoying Serum would have succeeded. I mean, I can't argue with that. I think there are situations in which maybe it would have taken longer for it to succeed and whether or not you could have afforded to do that, been patient enough. Um, that's a whole other question. But yeah, like, I mean, if you, I think it's a lot easier to do that if you're single. But when you have yeah. a family, like, and you have other, like, you have time and money trade-offs, then I think it gets a lot harder to do that. I am very appreciative of the fact that I started Less Annoying Serum at age 24, single, no kids, no home, no car. Um, there was no risk except that I might have to go take a job. That's all I was risking. And there was no sacrifice. It was I, I only got drunk with my friends once a week instead of th- three times a week or whatever. <laughs> Yeah, for those of you who don't know Tyler, he is not a casual drinker. Um, he, he either <laughs> drinks or he does not drink. I mostly don't drink, but yeah, if I do, it's for effect. <laughs> um, I haven't drink. I've only had one drink in like thirty days. Wow. Yeah, it just hasn't been a thing for me during quarantine. Yeah, I guess given that your wife doesn't drink, yeah, it makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going yeah, home. We're... I'm going home uh, t- on Friday for North Carolina for the first time in a long time, and I know my dad's going to be making me some Manhattans. Nice, and I We've love got his this, Manhattans. Uh, we do a company happy hour every Friday now, and a handful of us will stay on sometimes till like midnight. <laughs> oh, um, so that's my one. Like every Friday, I make some cocktails and video chat with everyone at the company, and it's been a, a very fun tradition. That's great. That's great. You guys have kept that going through. Uh, through the uh, you know quarantine stuff. Yeah, well, no one's got any other plans, so that helps. But yep. anyway, on the topic of sh- should you work more or less, I realize we don't have time, and also we're not going to break ground that they didn't. I do think it was an interesting podcast episode. I'd recommend listening to it, the Indie Hackers podcast. And 
yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested in if any listeners are just, can you, uh, every business is different, but I think you said, you said earlier, you shouldn't do it if it's not healthy. And I, I think that deserves to be challenged to say, maybe starting a business and is succeeding unhealthy. is unhealthy in the short term. And maybe that's part of it. If you can do it without the sacrifice, great. But if it needs the sacrifice, that doesn't mean you shouldn't make that sacrifice. Hmm, I'm super I, happy now as a result of the sacrifices I made then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess unbundling unhealthy is is a part of that conversation. And people are going to have different opinions on that for sure. So, True. yeah, it's a very personal decision. Uh, and, you know, like many things, whether you're you know starting a business or trying to build muscle, um, improve at a sport, whatever it is, like no pain, no gain. Yeah, nobody thinks that LeBron James is doing the wrong thing by making many, many sacrifices to be the best in the world at what he does. But a lot of people judge a startup founder for doing that. Yeah, A lot of people celebrate it too. Probably there are people on both sides that are wrong. Like Elon Musk is a maniac and you shouldn't do that probably, but... Anyway, okay. if you're Elon Musk, maybe you should. I, uh, if you want, people to. should not people should not celebrate Elon Musk doing it. I think Why not? it's different from LeBron James because I don't actually think one of DHH's points in it is it doesn't make you better. Putting in more, more hours doesn't make you more effective, and people are actually make, hurting themselves by putting more time. I think I disagree with that to a point, but yeah, I disagree with that. There, there's putting in more time definitely makes you better, um, but there are diminishing returns at some point. Yeah, yeah. And that's different for different people and different and totally different situations. Right. Okay. Anyway, just figured I'd bring it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that one. Um, well, uh, anything else before we jump off? Nope. I think I'm good. All right. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening. If you liked this episode, I have two favors to ask. First, please write a review on the podcast app of your choice because reviews play a huge role in helping other people discover useful podcasts. Second, if you know any founders or aspiring founders of independent startups, please tell them about Startup to Last. And if you'd like to review past topics and show notes, visit startuptolast.com. See you next week. See ya.